Hi, I'm Andy Bush, and you're listening to Through the Decades, a podcast that takes a nostalgic trip down memory lane with some of my favourite people. Each week, my guest and I will be starting in the 60s before going to the 70s, 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s, and back to the present day as they share their stories of how each decade has shaped their lives and made them what they are today. My guest today is TV personality, author, star of the stage, national treasure and dear friend, it's Mel Gedroich. Oh, now, Bush, none of the above is true, except for the last one. Oh, you are, you are friend. a dear friend. You are. Uh, it's amazing to you see are. you. How are you doing? You OK? Yeah, not so bad, Bushy. How are you, my love? Very, very good. What's your relationship with time? I know you're, you're a very busy person. Do you have time to uh, look back at what you've done or are you always on to the next thing? Now, interesting you say, what's my relationship with time? Because in 1986, uh-huh. the autumn thereof, I'd done my A-levels and I worked backstage on the musical Time. Whoa. Starring... Sir Cliff Richard. Basically, Cliff played a, a rock star. <laughs> Terrible impression uh, alert, sorry. I noticed that you came in on that as well, Bushy. I, I bailed I out of it as well, that. yeah. I know yeah, yeah. you bailed. Thanks yeah. for leaving me hanging. Uh, <laughs> so, Cliff plays a rock star, and the only way he can save planet Earth, I'm turning into Smashing Nicey, <laughs> is through the power of his song and his music. Wow, so like healing, Cliff heals the world. Cliff essentially heals the world. I won't tell you what happens... Spoiler alert. In case you want to go and get the... uh, Well, there wasn't a DVD of time, but uh, there's probably a bit of vinyl knocking around. You might want to know what happens in the end. Good God bless him. Well, listen, let's begin our journey, Mel, through time. Let's start in the 1960s, black and white TVs, every relative with brill cream in the hair and horn rim glasses, that kind of thing. Uh, Let's let's just start by talking about the Gedroich family, uh, Eastern European aristocracy. Well, there's a thing. Um, Yes, no, so my dad came over here in 47, and in the 60s, dad... Yeah, he had an extraordinary journey to get here, I should say, via via Siberia, which wasn't the best, mm-hmm. uh, between the ages of 11 and 13. But anyway, he got here. Hooray! Uh, met my mum. Hooray! Hooray! They'd met in the 50s. Woohoo! 60s was good times for my dad. Yeah. He was an aeronautical engineer at the time, got a job in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So the fam went out and lived in Hong Kong, lived the life. Lots, I didn't know this. Yeah, lots of pictures of mum and dad sort of really having a great time. Not sort of, mum always says, oh, no, we, I mean, we didn't do Swinging London. <laughs> I mean, they, they weren't here to do Swinging London. It was more kind of, you know, hey, let's go out on somebody's boat in the harbour and drink some gin. <laughs> I think my dad probably found it slightly odd yeah. coming from quite a different sort of background, but still absolutely loved it and loved designing planes. I bet what an unbelievable thing. So I didn't realise you have like a... It's aristocracy stock in the family, like generations mm. back. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, sadly, my dad is not around anymore to, to sort of discuss this properly. I know the sort of bare bones, you know, the classic 70s kid doesn't really pay attention that much. No, the the Gidraitis clan. You must have a, you must have a crest or, or like a, a shield. You must Rose have a shield. Rose and a centaur. Have you? Rose and a centaur. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We sort of are oh, the Grand Dukes of Lithuania, that's where we sort of hail from. So it's quite a clannish system. We've got cousins all over the place. A uh, couple in Russia, Ukraine, um, Belarusia, France, Canada, Argentina, America. They're all over the place. Do you ever get them together for a big family party? Oh, my God. That must be amazing oh, when they all get together. I am obsessed when the clan get together. <laughs> Absolutely obsessed. We need to do like a proper 
anniversary for some outrageous daring do that happened in 1284 or something. Yes. And again, if my dad were here, he would say, oh, yes, 1284, that is what that's... <laughs> absolutely. My dad should be doing this podcast, Bush. <laughs> he would be fantastic, but you're doing a great job. Oh, God bless me. Well, let's get a song on from the 1960s, yeah. uh, Mel, that means something to you. Uh, tell us what song you want to hear and why. I want to hear, please, uh, Fire by Jimi Hendrix. Great song. 1967. I'm going to say this is the first thrash metal song ever. It's my favourite Hendrix song, and you never, ever hear it get played. It's brilliant that you've chosen this. It's amazing. Can we please bow down, prostrate ourselves, not only before the one, the only Jimi Hendrix, never will his like be seen again, Uh or has been seen again, uh, for Mitch Mitchell, his drummer, in the Jimi Hendrix experience. Is he the one that he had an amazing hairstyle? They had some amazing hairstyles. Yeah. And he's tiny. <laughs> he's a little kind of skinny, a bit like Shaggy off Scooby-Doo. <laughs> GB, just absolute legend. And what's brilliant in this song is how Mitch Mitchell is kind of stoking up Jimi Hendrix. That's what's going on here. They're kind of competing, I think. Noel Redding doing some quite interesting backing vocals. And there's a brilliant story about Fire, and I really hope this is true. Apparently, Noel Redding's mum had invited the three of them to go down and see her for Sunday lunch. (laughs) They went for lunch. There'd been a massive, massive downpour of rain and they were all soaking. And she said, apparently to Jimmy, would you like to stand next to the fire, dear? Oh, my words. And this is, this is, this is where the song comes from. And the rest is history. <laughs> if true, game changer. Oh, isn't that brilliant? Uh, this is Jimi Hendrix and Fire. Fire, written and performed by Jimi Hendrix and was released by Paula Records. Now, Mel, look, let's move from the monochrome of the 60s to the full colour of the 70s then. Yeah. Uh, so you just mentioned about your parents earlier on. How did your parents meet then and were they trendy? Was it was it got trendy vibes going on from your oh, mum and dad? Oh, God bless them. I wouldn't say the word trendy. I mean, I do remember pretending to be adopted when my <laughs> mum used to pick me up from school in the 70s in the clapped-out Vauxhall Viva in full tweed, mate. Amazing. So all the other mums in kind of, you know, <laughs> hey, crimpoline flares, you know, bunches <laughs> and sort of, you know, onyx jewellery coming out of their sort of bubble cars. No, they wouldn't in the <laughs> 70s. And mum would come out of the Vauxhall Viva and go, yoo-hoo, <laughs> Melly, like that. And I, at the time, I literally talked like that. I had a little, you know, leatherhead history. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, to sort of keep in with the... Hand it over. Watcher, mate, all that stuff. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say that they're... I mean, I definitely feel like I'm turning into me dad. I only said oh, this morning... Oh, Nigel! Can't hear myself think. I literally said <gasps> that this morning. Nigel phrase. Do you ever turn it? you feel like yes. you're turning into your parents? I said to my daughters, literally the other week... I said, enough is as good as a feast. I'm going to use that one. I like that. Which is straight from Rosemary's uh, Rosemary's lips. <laughs> Who's the strictest out of your mum and dad? Rosemary! Really, was she? Yes. Although Michael <laughs> had his moments. You see, dad had the Central European grit. Right. He'd been through Siberia, for Pete's sake, so you didn't push him. Gorgeous guy, adored the living daylights out of him, but you would not push him because he could go crack a toe-in. Yes. Yeah. So mum was absolutely on the ground, just kind of keeping it all very military. 
dad w- was in reserve for the big guns. And then you've just alluded to that. Your father went on to write an amazing book about his experiences in the Second World War. And it, it literally, you couldn't make it up. It was, it's almost movie-like what happened to him in terms of a gulag and, and all this kind of stuff, prisoner of war camp. Um, do you get that kind of thing with your dad where sometimes there's kind of quietness to them, but they're keeping it all inside? We never knew... 90% of what had happened to yep. my dad until we read the book. Wow. Dad said, after he'd finished writing the book and it was going to be published and everything, do you know, I haven't had a nightmare for the last five weeks. Oh, wow. We didn't even... He'd had nightmares all the way through his life until he wrote that book. It was a catharsis. It was therapy, absolutely. Um, and the detail, you know, he's writing through the eyes of an 11-year-old boy who is seeing his home taken over, who's seeing everything that he's ever known destroyed, and his dad going off to be, well, I'm sorry to say, tortured and assassinated, and then he ends up with his mum and two sisters going to Siberia for two years. And it's a brilliant telling of this story because his eye for the detail is is so brilliant. And there are yeah. moments of humour, there are moments of humour which always kill me, actually, when I read it. And talking of, like, war and peace, brothers and sisters, what, what, how many brothers and sisters have you got? So I'm the youngest of four. Was it Fight Club or were you guys kind of good with each other? Oh, there's a lot of bants. There's a, yeah, there's a lot. It's annoying for other people who come into the clan because it's just banteroonie. <laughs> <laughs> It really is, and it's not particularly funny. You know, if it was really witty, I'd be very happy to sit here and share some of the Gedroich bands, but it's not that witty. Yeah. There's a lot of teasing, always has been. I'm always the brunt. Still am. You know, I'm 53 years old, nothing changes. It's interesting, that, isn't it? With the passing of time, uh-huh. you stay very much in the same kind of roles and the same... You, you fulfil the same sort of things that you're supposed to, I think. Um no, so sorry for belching. Um, that's another thing. The Gedroiches have terrible digestive systems. Bit of wind. Bit Always. of wind in the old Gedroich systems. Si- a Siberian wind blowing through us. Let's get a song in. Speaking of Siberian winds, the yes. 70s, uh, is there a song from the 1970s that has a special place in your heart? Track of the yeah, decade. Yeah, and in fact, you mentioned at the start of this, um, you said Technicolor from the kind of grainy black and white. Well, this 1972 song is absolutely what happened it was a kind of burst of madness color something from outer space that came and hit the top of the pop studio i'm of course talking about david bowie yes um i i mean i was four so i like to sort of think i probably have said i've lied probably and said yeah yeah i remember that i remember that very very clearly that (laughs) moment that's um you know seismic seminal moment when bowie uh played life on mars as ziggy stardust but i don't remember it why do you love him so much do you think you look at the footage of 1972 in gb it looks like the 1940s yeah it is drab it's like lots of fog lots yeah. of fighting yes. and policemen running along and their hats coming off yeah that's the 70s and bad teeth terrible teeth and yes you're right sort of lots of brown <laughs> so there he was this kind of ridiculous elfin tiny tiny little man with this bright red crazy hair and it was as if he'd landed from another planet and there he was and there's a brilliant bit in it where um, if you watch the Top of the Pops footage where he looks straight down the camera and points and I think he says the word you or something you uh, and you kind of think yes it's me it's me he's talking to me (laughs) and he's got his arm round Mick Ronson you know you don't know what's going on in terms of you know are they together are they a couple this is outrageous this is unbelievable this is brilliant yeah and it's a fantastic song 
That was Life on Mars, written and performed by David Bowie, released by RCA Records. Next, Mel, we jump into the 1980s. Disco dance floors. I think this might be your favourite decade musically. Hell yeah. Although, with the passing of time, Uh I'm getting very, very fond of the 90s. Check you out. Very, very fond of the mid-90s. I totally sort of... For- well, I mean, I'd totally forgotten about it because, you know, I mean, I was so off my... Oh, whatever. It's parties and that. Oh, man, you know. Um, but 80s, I mean, yeah. I've got my brother to thank for a lot of my music in the 80s because I seem to remember he hung around for a year. My brother's a muso and was living on the top floor of our house. Mum was desperate to kick him out so she could get a lodger in and make some money, <laughs> but he sort of hung around for a year. I don't think he had much money. Yeah. Um, he's a, a keyboardist, my brother, and he's an amazing musician. Yeah. He was playing all sorts, a lot of funk, you know, a lot of modern jazz, not so much the trad jazz... Oh, was he in bands in your neighbourhood then? He had a band called Jazz You Like It. Oh, my word. Which we like to bring up a lot. That might be the best band name I've ever heard in my life. It's appalling, isn't it? <laughs> I was 11 when Jazz You Like It first uh, first started, so I wasn't allowed in the pub. So I remember a lot of their gigs, I would be outside the pub on my own, looking in through the window at the whole family, enjoying Jazz You Like It. Um, this is how it rolled in the Gedroich family. Yeah. Yeah? We've got the Central European grit, and it's like, well, you know, just tough, go outside. Go on, sort yourself out. I've also got to thank him for Kraftwerk. Yes, uh, you love them, don't you? Oh, uh, and yeah, Kraftwerk for me is absolutely everything. It's lyrical, it's beautiful. Do you remember your first single that you ever bought, though? I bought it with my sister. We paid 15p each, uh, and it was bow wrap played it constantly um but i remember computer love coming out i think it was in 81 do you know what i'm not even joking i drove yesterday down the m40 and i listened to autobahn the whole way yeah i'm obsessed with them the thing about Kraftwerk is they're total geeks yeah you know classically trained they'd all been to conservatoires you know i think florian was on the flute note the german accent thanks very much well, that was good uh Oh, between them, you know, there was a sort of violin, a flute and a piano. You know, they're proper classically trained yeah. uh, musicians. And the music is really beautiful and lyrical. And yes, you can listen to it and say, yeah, but it's just a, a load of quite boring beeps. It's not. It's transfixing. And I mean, it wouldn't have lasted so long, would it? And so many people cite them as their kind of major influences. It just wouldn't be good if it hadn't lasted so long, I think. It's a tough decade to pick a a favourite song from, the 80s. I know, there was so much going on. There's loads that was going on. Is there one song out of all the others that you could could pick? Oh, maybe you want to get an original track from Jazz, you like it, but it might be quite hard to track that down. I think all the members of Jazz You Like It are now dead, except for my brother. He's the final remaining member. Yeah, I think so. Miko Gedrich's yeah, Jazz You Like It. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> That's what we'd have to do. Um, it was really hard, this. it was, And I didn't know whether to go late 80s and move into the whole sort of early dance thing or go early 80s, and I just thought, it's got to be Kraftwerk. I can't not be on your podcast and not have a Kraftwerk tune. So I'm going to go for Computer Love, which is on the Computer World album, and it still makes me cry. It's so portentous, this song. It's so kind of looking into the future about, you know, just loneliness, sitting on a computer screen and wanting love. I think it's Tinder, but in 81. (laughs) I think that's what this song is.
Computer Love, written by Ralph Hutler, Carl Bartos and Emil Schultz, performed by Kraftwerk and released by EMI back in 1981. We jump to the 90s now, Mel. Get ready, Britpop and rave culture. What was your main memory of the 90s then? I mean, the memories are vague, Bush. As you know, I was at the epicentre of the rave movement. Um, no, the 90s... Do you know, I'm more and more fond of the 90s as I get further and further away from them. What were you wearing in the 90s? Were you kind of oh. like an indie kid or...? Very similar to what I'm wearing today, Bush. This <laughs> right. is a perennial look for me. It's jeans that are a little bit too short, some scummy old plimsolls and a big jumper. Nothing's changed, Bush. You've always had a drawstring uh, PE-style bag always. the entire time I've known you, so oh, yeah. I presume this was still the case in the 90s. <laughs> This is the awful thing. It's like when you think you're on a dance floor, for example, and you think, I am looking pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. And then you catch sight of yourself in a reflective surface and you just see a sort of steaming, sweaty, red-faced, gurning idiot. Well, do you know what? You were were out with your uh, eldest daughter at university. Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. (gasps) and It was like the 90s. She looked so cool, right? I did not look cool like that. You know what I mean? My daughter's... Every single item in their wardrobe is from a kilo sale, from a second-hand shop, from a vintage... You know, it's absolutely... That's that's their go-to. So they do... They look all much cooler than I did. Yeah. I tried to do the second-hand shop thing, but I, I remember I had a trilby for quite a while. Yeah. And a sort of Mac... A kind of dead person's <laughs> Mac and some trousers that I'd taken in so that they were drain pipes, but they looked a bit lumpy and bulky because the inside of the trouser was still within, if you get what I mean. I'm getting Inspector Gadget vibes, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> and some plastic moccasins, Bush. Oh, my words. I was, just, I was just untrendy. Just it didn't Same work. Same bush. Big glasses. Didn't work. Oh. My friend used to say to me, "Can you get Sky Sports on those glasses? They're that big." <laughs> <laughs> Never quite worked. Nearly, nearly there. That's why I'm so impressed with how cool your daughter looks. Uh, where did you kind of side on the whole Oasis versus Blur debate then in the nineties? Oh, I think it was probably Blur. Bit of Blur. But again, with time. I actually, I've been listening to a bit of Oasis uh, recently. It's really good stuff, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. And I think Liam has gone on and done a great job since yeah, as well. Do you know what I mean? I think he's a yeah. good he's a good ambassador for rock and roll in still. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Hilariously, back in the 70s, I was uh, in my class. There were a set of twins, um, Lee and Lloyd Gallagher. And they were skinheads. They were quite ne'er-do-well-ish. And at the age of, I think, 10, I was going out with both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I would go back to their house. And I remember we would bounce. Um, this is going to sound really bad, but we would bounce on their beds. Right. We Purely innocent, but we would just bounce off their beds and on the beds. Anyway, <laughs> my mum phoned me up in probably 94 or 95, and she said, Oh, Melly, darling, well, this is wonderful news. The Gallagher boys have done so well, haven't they? <laughs> and I said, Mum, that's Liam and Noel. <laughs> Not Lee and Lloyd. <laughs> she thought that they were Oasis. Oh, bless them. They're probably like Morrisons or something, aren't they, the pair of them? I, if, they're, if they're alive. Really? I don't know. I do, I Listen, I don't know. Well, uh, let's talk about the 90s song-wise. Again, another tough decade, so many brilliant things around. Uh, what are you going to play? Uh, again, it's an early 90s. I, I chose an 81. I'm going to go for a 91. Um... Probably my favourite band of the 90s, actually. Just their boldness, they were provocateurs, they were artistes, they were elusive, they didn't buy into the whole pop star thing. They were funny, they were clever, they were outrageous, the KLF. Oh, love the KLF. Mm. You're picking some good tunes. What an unusual, mysterious band they are. Yeah. I have to tell you something. I ended up being slightly on their fringes 
because I was going out with somebody at the time who was involved in them and um, I ended up at some really, really cool parties. Did you? You were hanging out with the KLF in the I 90s? I was very slightly on the outer, you know, I can't think of an outer planet, Jupiter. But, I mean, when I've seen them on Top of the Pops, they've always got, like, people with, like, rams heads on and yeah. cloaks. Did you ever don an outfit to I wasn't perform? Cool. I, w- I wasn't cool enough. I mean, I loved the chat and was very happy to chat. <laughs> Uh, with all of them. They were amazing. But no, I wasn't quite uh, on that scale, but I sort of really admired their chutzpah and just brilliant songs, actually. You know, you'd sort of think with a band like that, "Mm, what are they going to sound like in 30 years' time? Well, put some on your turntable, they still sound brilliant. You know, it's a big kind of symphonic sound and I've picked Justified and Ancient which was their 1991 track and you know it's got blooming everything it's got your guitar hook it's got your hip hop elements it's got African chants it's got disco and it's got Tammy Wynette Tammy Wynette is on this song it's amazing Wynette is in full costume (laughs) probably I love the way she's singing you know saying uh, they're justified they're ancient and they like to roam the land Um, (laughs) she probably had absolutely no idea you know, well, maybe she did. Maybe, maybe she, she knew. Maybe she questioned and said, well, what are these? What, what, what is the moo? I don't know. <laughs> Again, another terrible impression. But I love the way she did that, and I love the way that they got her doing that. And it's a, just a brilliant song. What a song. You just heard Justified and Ancient, written by Bill Drummond, Jimmy Corti and Ricardo Light, performed by the KLF and released by brilliantly named KLF Communications. On to the noughties then, the year 2000, the millennium. Do you remember what you did for the millennium? It was weak. (laughs) I, oh dear, the classic into the new year kind of thing. I do this every year. Talk to Sue Perkins about this. She has a real bugbear about this. Ever since I've known her, since 1988, she says I am the worst uh, sort of New Year's companion. I get very giddy drink too much and have to be put to bed at 10. Oh, right, she so go out in a blaze of glory, but quite early. Massive blaze of glory, loads of promises, loads of, you know, we're going to do an all-dayer tomorrow. This is the year. And then... I think I was put to bed at half 10. Oh, my word. So you didn't even see the uh, New Year's I did. I know that I'd bought an outfit from Topshop... I just started going out with Ben, my beloved Ben. Uh, so that was all quite new, and I bought an outfit to impress him. Yeah. Slightly, oh, a rogue purchase. It was a sort of a weird, long, shiny skirt. Uh-huh. And some weird corset top. <laughs> Not me, mate. What the <laughs> hell was going on? You could tell it was early days of the relationship. And I think he put me to bed. Oh, he's a lovely chap, isn't he? Well, I mean, talking about Sue there, 1988, just to kind of dip back a little bit. Do you, mem- do you remember first meeting her? Like, what, Yes, I did. Did you instantly get on or not? Yeah, we did. You did? We did. So she's a year younger than me. So it's 1988. We're at uni. There's a comedy tryout night. I'm in my second year, kind of standing at the back. I'm in full rave gear. I've just been interrailing. <laughs> and I've got this ludicrous neon pair of hot pants, <laughs> some pink DMs, and I do have a whistle around my neck at all times. Wow. Oh, you had the full kit. Yeah. Fat Willie Surf Shack t-shirt. <laughs> Global hypercolour. <laughs> Amazing. And young Susan gets on stage, this little whippersnapper of a girl, and just did ten minutes of just brilliant improvised comedy. And I just thought, 
you are really brilliant. Yeah. I must introduce myself to you. It's interesting because some of the best like double acts in history, you do have the situation where one goes to see the other, then they kind of meet up. Because I think I, I remember reading that Bob Mortimer went to see Vic Reeves. Exactly, because Bob was a, a solicitor. Yeah, exactly. So a complete like absolutely change. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Saw him do some stuff. Thought yeah. we should work together, and it goes yeah, from there. Yeah, a little. It's fate. So if he didn't go to that uh, night, I know, imagine that. I know. He'd have never met her. Yeah, firm friendship through comedy was established that night. Well, let's get a song from the noughties then. What naughty song are you going to go for, Mel, and why? OK, so the noughties, for me, that decade, was all about the child-rearing. Very much what you're going through now, Bush. Look at the state of me. <laughs> <laughs> Where you suddenly realise you have no memory of anything. This is unbelievable, isn't it? No memory. I can't remember dates or anything no, at all. Nothing. Just before I've come in today, I've put a chart up on the fridge about doing poos and getting Kinder Eggs. <laughs> I just wish it was for me. <laughs> So yeah, I, I feel I feel that I feel that big time. Oh, Bush! I get a buzz off being kind of really tired. Do you? I got I grumpy. I was. Do you know? I've got to apologise to my kids. I was grumpy from 2002 to 2010. <laughs> I was hatchet face. It wasn't you know, Mrs. Ooh, she's quite good fun. <laughs> Not at all. Hatchet face. <laughs> Really? But it got better once I started sleeping properly. So what kind of song amongst this kind of craziness would you go for? Well, now, this is the thing. I associate this so strongly with the two daughters being in their little chairs in the back seat of the car. And we had a CD player in the car. And if it was evening time, we would put on this magnificent, magnificent record, Roixop. Ooh. I love Roixop. And I still listen to them, uh-huh. you know. And the song was Paulino, and it's like a lullaby. And it worked every time. If we got the CD on, fast-forwarded to Paulino, we could have the girls asleep in about a minute and a half. Oh, wow, that is amazing. I might have to get Try this. It. I'm going to need this song. It's got It's just a beautiful kind of lyrical, gentle, wonderful... It's a song which kind of says, you know, we all love each other. It's one of those. It's a it's beautiful nice. song, yeah. And it does, it works miracles with the old, um, with the nippers. Give it a go, Bush. Although it is quite soporific, so if you're driving, just be careful because you might end up nodding off. That's the beautiful Paulino, written by Erland Oy and Roixop. Performed by Roixop, released through Wall of Sound. Uh, next, we head into the 2010s then, Mel, a big decade. Uh, this is the decade that the Great British Bake Off came into your life. Oh. Such an iconic show, uh, so popular around the world. How did it all start? Did it start by accident? Yeah, all the things that have happened in the Perkins Gedroich Collective have been usually when we're very, very down on the uppers. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, I had just done quite a lot of child rearing, was heavily unemployed probably, and got a call through, like you do, saying, oh, would you like to do a show? I was thinking, great, it's going to be some really edgy sitcom, some BBC Three sitcom. <laughs> finally, finally, it's come. It's a cookery show, uh, and it's in a tent, and it's with bakers, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, sign me up. And spoke to Sue and she was like, mm-hmm, yeah, let's do it, see how this goes. Uh, did the first series. We thought it was the worst thing we'd ever done. I remember so clearly phoning each other on a daily basis and just saying, what have we done? <laughs> <laughs> what have we done? That was the twiest, most embarrassing... Did you tell a gag? No, I didn't. Did you? No. 
I mean, what was that? Is anyone going to watch it? No, of course they're not going to watch it. Who's going to watch that? <laughs> Bakers in a tent flapping about. Are you kidding? It's OK, it's all right. We've paid a bit of mortgage. It'll never get recommissioned. This is absolutely... It'll go so far under the radar. And the first series went out and we were, like, literally just kind of like, oh... Because you don't watch your own God. stuff anyway, do never, you? Never, never. Never, ever, ever. I'll watch it about ten years later. So I'm watching a bit of Bake Off now, actually. Oh, brilliant, right. It's not bad. It's some great. Of it, some of it's a bit weak, but it's all right. It's OK. But anyway, um, the strangest things happen, don't they? And do you still stay in touch with Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood? Yeah, Mary more than Paul. Um, I did text Paul the other night. I was slightly in my cups. <laughs> I'd made one of his delicious pecan and chocolate tart yeah. for my youngest daughter's 18th birthday, and I texted him and with a picture... Whatever. And he sent back a very sweet reply. So we're in touch sporadically. Mary, see her regularly. She's the best. I mean, you look back on the, you know, the huge shock which played out in the public domain about yourself and Sue walking away from the mm. show when it was moved to Channel 4. What's your view looking back on it? It was so weird. <laughs> so weird. It was so weird. I mean, it took Sue and I, I would say, two and a half seconds to make that decision. Yep. Um, did you meet in a service station and chat? Where did you meet to have that summit? I was on the West Way, uh, the A40 dual carriageway coming out of London, and we spoke on the phone. Bluetooth, perks talk. <laughs> we were actually so sort of adrenalised by the whole thing because it was sort of like, I mean, it seems ridiculous in the world we're living in now, for goodness sake, but it was kind of headline news. It was huge. And um, so we were sort of almost, la you know, when you're half laughing, yeah. half crying with sort of hysteria, it was that. And we put together a very, very cobbled press release. Sue's was quite political, mine was full of puns, yeah. and we kind of met halfway. And we put that out. Um, yeah, it was a very quick decision. There was there was no question that we were going to make that move. It was weird. There was one morning where there were like four news crews <laughs> outside the door. It's bad because you look back, as you just I said, mean, you look back at what's going on at the moment and it just seems like almost like a different oh, world, doesn't it? It really, really, really does. But yeah, my poor daughters. I remember I, I remember I sent them to the front door to deal with the journos. Because <laughs> I just thought they'll deflect it in a much more sort of, you know, you can't, you know, they were only kids at the time. Yeah. That's quite bad of me, isn't it? No, it's good. It's a brilliant deflection method. I love it. It was. It certainly got rid of them. Well, let's get a song from the 2010s then. It's a tough decade sometimes, yeah. the 2010s. Is there anything that kind of jumps out for you that you'd like to play? Well, do you know what? It's actually to do with Bake Off. So we used to film Bake Off sort of late spring, early summer. And I remember once being in a hotel and Glastonbury was on and I had like four hours to kill. And I just thought, right, I'm going to really log into some Glastonbury. And I got the Glasto on and Wolf Alice were on. Yeah. And I was totally taken by them. I just thought, how brilliant. This amazing young woman fronting this brilliant four-piece proper sort of rock and roll band. Yeah. And I've loved them ever since. And I'm proud to say I bought tickets to Wolf Alice and I took my daughter. And I like to think that it's inspired her. She's now a bass player. Well, this is it. That's great. Yeah, she's a bass player and she still loves Wolf Alice. So I felt, I mean, I felt a bit of a sore thumb at the gig, but I, I, I sort of stood at the back and just checked. She was only 14 with her mates. I thought I better just. In your, in your cagoule at the back yeah. of the <laughs> With a <the> whistle. <laughs> no, get away. Get away from her. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, this is a song by Wolf Alice called Formidable Cool. It's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Global Call, written and performed by Wolf Alice, released by Dirty Hit. And now, Mel, we arrive at the present day, the 2020s, with it all going on. Just before all the madness went on, you were in the Stephen Sondheim, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Got there in the end. Yeah. Company, we came to see you, played Sarah, it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you. How was that? Any desire to take to the stage again, now that things have settled down a little bit? Itching. That's another story. No, (laughs) I lit, I am itching. In fact, coming here today to talk to you, I walked through the West End and there are really good, healthy signs that theatre land is kind of coming back and that's just uh, amazing. And every time I come into the West End and get out at Piccadilly um, Circus, I just feel, oh, I feel so excited about yeah. theatre. It's ridiculous. I'm such a ham. Massive ham bush, you know me. <laughs> so you did much ado about nothing before that. And yeah. then, obviously, company. If you were to go for, like, another stage thing, was there anything you've got, like, a desire to do? Do you know what? I would love a really cheeky little comedy role. Yeah. In something. Something quite small. Maybe just coming in and, you know, with a tray or something and... <laughs> like Mrs. Overall. Like Mrs. Overall. Bit of comedy next. And then yeah. also, you're working on your second novel, the follow-up? Yes. Going uh, quite badly. The Best Things, which was amazing. Huge success. How was writing? Obviously, you got it in, in your DNA because of your father. Was it an enjoyable experience? No. Um, <laughs> no, some of it is. It's a weird thing, the writing process. You enjoy it when you've done it. Right. Talk to me at 5pm when I've done a day's writing and I'll be like, oh, it's fantastic. best job in the world. When you're doing it, yeah. horrific. Yeah. Because the, the little voices are saying, why are you doing that? That's not funny. Oh, what's that? Ooh, that's you boring. Hanging that, out that's in been e- done Ealing Library. Listen, I have slightly changed my tack. Right, where are we writing I'm now then? I'm trying to mix it up. It all got very sort of tunnel vision last time. So I'm trying to do mix it up, do different times of day in different places. Oh, wow, on the move. Going quite badly, so I think I will go back to the library. 9am till 1 every day. I could just imagine you, though, in there, though, like, wasting time by trying to, like, <laughs> chatting to people and stuff. I could bet you were, like... Uh, oh, by the way, the um, disabled lose out of order. You want to use the one around the corner. It's much quieter. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, thank God for local libraries. Long may they live, I say. And then just on the whole thing of writing, as someone who, you know, used to doing stuff on stage and you get that instant reaction to what you do or what you say, yeah. what's it like writing a book and then eight months later then you find out what people think of it it's really it's, strange it's, isn't it it's the best if somebody says to me I read your book that I want to cry I literally I'm so emotional about it I want to blub and literally hang on to them and welcome them into the clan because <laughs> I just think that's so nice of you yeah to go through all those pages you know thank you so much well listen it's been awesome to go through time with you Mel oh. love you lots let's let's end with a triumphant song from the present day t- oh. to see us out what are you going to go for okay so there's an amazing artist out there and he is called Essa Wera, which is I think a place in Morocco where Jimi Hendrix used to go and hang out gone full circle I just thought quite nice little circular yeah. thing to the pod yeah, it's beautiful music. It's a really perfect fusion of kind of electronica, uh, the human voice, kind of tender stuff, beautiful beats. I think I've got a very, I've got a very, very, very good feeling about about Essaera. I'm on the pulse. I'm 53, and I'm giving you some new music here, gang. Yeah, is that cool or is that not cool? <laughs> Mel Gedrich, thank you so much. The song's called Tiny. was Tiny, written and performed by Essa Wera, released by Alpha Pup. 
And there you have it, our trip through the decades. If you like any of the music you've heard, Absolute Radio has a station for you from the swinging 60s with Absolute Radio 60s to the rave-filled 90s with our beloved Absolute Radio 90s as well. And there's loads more. There's something for everyone.